Hey, you're listening to Patrick Coppolino, and this is the Yuck Yucks Comedy Podcast. Why not book a Yuck Yucks on tour show for your school, fundraiser, or next corporate event? Go to yuckyucks.com and click on Hire a Comic. Let our experienced agents help you put together a show that is right for you. Be sure to visit us at www.yuckyucks.com. Twitter. Twitter. And follow us on Twitter using hashtag YYCP. What's going on, my little yuckamaniacs? This is your host, Jake Hirsch. Welcome to the Yuck Yucks Comedy Podcast. I, son of a bitch, this, I cannot escape the buzzing. I don't know what it is. I'm trying to narrow it down, folks. You, you hear this little weird wiring electrical feedback every once in a while. I don't know if it's my microphone. I don't know if it's the mixing board. I don't know what the hell's going on. Maybe I should try a different, maybe it's a computer. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Anyway, I'll figure it out, I promise. Uh, hey, welcome to the show. We've got a great one lined up for you today. I hope you guys have been enjoying all these interviews that we've been doing. Uh, we are on episode number 61. Unbelievable. 61 episodes. Yes, that is incredible. Uh, last week, we had the very funny, very uh, very talented Mr. Chris Catan on the show, and it was a, it was a true honor uh, getting to uh, sit down and interview him. Uh, we've got some great ones lined up. Today is no different, folks. Today is no different. But before we get into that, our interview today, let me just make a couple of announcements first. Um, the Late Show with uh, Friday Late Show with Tyler Middleton is kicking off September 16th at the Yuck Yucks Club in Calgary. Uh, and there's great shows all month long. I know I've got my hands on about five in September. It's going to be a very, very busy month, but I'm looking forward to it. This weekend as well, we've got another great show lined up at the Hideout Pub out in Cochrane. Mr. Scott Dumas. That's right, folks. Scott Dumas, who is the elusive unicorn that I've tried getting on my podcast. Uh, we've made a couple of appointments. We haven't been able to nail down a time, but I promise you this. Scott will be on our podcast soon. Uh, and he lives just close, so I don't know why we have not been able to make this happen, but I promise you. Scott Dumas will be on the podcast. I've been wanting to sit down and chat with him. He's got a ton of great stories that I'd love to share. Uh, I was supposed to sit down with Mr. Rob Pugh this past weekend. Didn't get to happen. Uh, or actually, sorry, two weeks ago. It didn't get to happen. Uh, some uh, conflicts with the scheduling. Uh, he had some family in town. He had a visit. And I was not able to get down to the club. Uh, but... I promise you we will be doing some great phone-in interviews with some uh, with some people that, uh, of course, we wanted to get on the show in person but uh, was not able to do that. Uh, so stay tuned, folks. Lots of great interviews coming up. Um, on a sad note, on a very sad note, we uh, a good, good friend of mine and, and, a, and a good friend in the uh, Calgary comedy community, Mr. Ben Cannon, uh, recently uh, lost his father uh, to an uh, unexpected uh, brain aneurysm and uh, could not be more crushed. Ben's dad was somebody who you would see at uh, at all the shows he would come out support his son and uh, in such an absolute pleasure and 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 just uh, uh, just somebody who you know was open arms and supportive of everybody in the community not just his son he was truly the type of guy to to come up and and even if you did really badly he would tell you that you did great and that uh, you should have won the competition or uh, you know you should have been the headliner tonight or, or whatever the case was uh, he was just so positive so supportive of everybody and it's going to be a true loss not only of course to Ben but uh, to everybody that uh, was in touch with him uh, a true true honor and uh, an absolute pleasure uh, of, of, of mine to 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 meet him and to sit down with him and uh, to have 
have him, uh, you know, welcome me into his home and, and to spend time with his son. So uh, the Calgary community of comedy is truly rallying around Ben and, uh, you know, our hearts go out to him uh, in this uh, difficult time. But uh, I know Ben, uh, if anything, uh, knows how much his father was proud of him and, uh, and, and how much more uh, he looks forward to to uh, to living out that dream of his of becoming one hell of a comedian, which he's well on his way to. So our our hearts and our thoughts and prayers go out to Ben Cannon, folks. Uh, if you if you have a chance, uh, chances are you've performed with him, seen him. Uh, you know, maybe he's opened up for you, maybe uh, traveling through. So send him a message. Just let him know that you're there. And uh, our hearts, uh, like I said, and prayers are with you, Ben Cannon. Uh, today's interview. Todd Ness. Now, I've known Todd now for about a year and just really started, uh, you know, kind of helping him out, taking over some aspects of his career, managing him and stuff like that. Yes, I do management in case some of you people are wondering. Uh, I have a small select few of uh, people that uh, have asked me to manage them and, uh, you know, help them out with some of their career stuff. And uh, it's uh, it, it's it's a true honor. It's a true pleasure. Uh, Todd is is one of those guys who at first it's kind of hard to put your finger on because you're like, I, I feel like I know him. I feel like we're good buddies, but maybe we're not as close as I think we are because, uh, I kind of always felt that Todd held back a bit, you know, didn't overly share a lot of stuff. Uh, a lot of comedians in the business, if anything, they love to share. They love to share family experiences and stories and all this type of stuff. And Todd does that, but he does it on stage. He's not one of those guys who's just an open book. Uh, so I always kind of put Todd in this place of, you know what, I feel like we're good buddies, but I'm not quite sure if there's weird stuff there because uh, he doesn't really, he doesn't open up a lot about his private life. But over the past year, I've really got to know him as a person and, and, and as a friend and not only as a client, but someone I can, you know, text to and joke around with and, and, you know, kind of shoot the shit with. And, and, uh, and I, I, I really have, have grown to admire and, and, and respect Todd and and just to see the dedication and discipline he puts into his craft uh, definitely shows up on stage. Uh, we finally get to sit down in studio and Todd tells me all about his life, uh, tells me all about uh, his background, how he got into comedy, all those types of things. And, uh, and it was such a great interview. I had such a fun time sitting and talking with him and to see him, you know, not just on stage, but to sit down, you know, face to face and friend to friend and, 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 you know, like really get down to the bottom of, of, of his story and, and kind of encapsulize who he is and, and where he's from and, uh, and his view on the comedy industry and, and what's going on so far. Uh, I'm a firm believer that you will see Todd Ness's name on the marquee at some point. Uh, he is a tremendous talent. He's very funny. He's very confident on stage. He carries a lot of swagger and he reminds me of John Bueller a lot, uh, in that way, just, uh, you know, a, a bit alpha male, but, but he's able to joke in a very funny and inappropriate way and gets away with it. And I, I think if he gives people permission to laugh at, at stuff, they are along for the ride. I've never seen Todd not do well in front of an audience. He's always managed to, you know, reach into whatever pockets he has and pull out some just amazing, amazing witty content. So today was a real honor uh, to be able to sit down with him. And uh, I shouldn't say today, but I mean, the day that we sat down, it was just, it, it was, it was great for me because I got to ask all the questions I'd been waiting to ask and uh, I got the answers. So 
without further ado, folks, so proud and uh, so so hyped up to be able to present this interview to you. Uh, of course, my good friend and client, Mr. Todd Ness. You don't seem like that. You don't seem like it. I know, and that's why I know I'm scared. Uh, there, there's, a lot, there's a lot to clear up on this podcast, Todd okay. Ness, because the people, the masses want to know yeah. all about you and what the hell you're all about. And, Good. Uh, yeah, you don't seem like a drug guy to me. Have we started right now? We are. Is that right? We at? are live here. You know, and I I'd, um, seem a lot more like <laughs> some guy I remember like three or four years into stand-up. Right. He was like, you don't. I ordered a beer, and he's like, you drink? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, oh, I thought you were like clean edge and you never drink. Because I would never have beers before I went on stage. Right. Only because, one, at that time I was too nervous to even drink before going up. And right. two, I didn't want uh, – it dries your mouth out so much that yeah. I would find I would get dry mouth. It was literally just utility oh, that I wouldn't have a drink. But everyone – so that would, like caught on. Everyone's like, oh, Todd doesn't like – You got the straight edge. He doesn't, vibe, right? he doesn't drink. He doesn't have caffeine or anything. Meanwhile, I would be like blacking out at university on the weekends, and I would go missing on the sea train. And then show up for a show on Sunday, and I was like, oh, man, he's so clean. He probably just eats kale all day. <laughs> You do have that, uh, yeah, that's a weird reputation thing. I don't even know what's a reputation, so to speak, but it's a, uh, it's, uh, this weird, uh, uh, just image, I guess you could say. It is an image. Yeah, I want to smash, well, one of my goals right now is to smash my healthy image. I just want to completely. <laughs> do you? you no, because I think, yeah, for whatever reason, it's like the perception was I was just like doing curls and eating salads and showing up and doing stand-up. That's what I thought. And going straight home and getting full sleep. Yeah, the first time I saw you, I think it was on LaBelle's show and uh, at Booker's. Mm-hmm. And you came out, and I thought this guy clearly has just been drinking creatine shakes for the past fifteen years. Yeah, and working pure creatine. Out. That's it. Yeah, pure creatine. And then you've got kind of yeah, people kind of look at you like you're just like this clean cut kind of like Mormon type kid. Yeah, I've been called um, <laughs> like Abercrombie. Like when people don't yes, know, they, they never remember a comic's name, so just like who is the Abercrombie guy? <laughs> and then one time. Like when my first year of stand up, one of the open mics, right? I would be so nervous before I would go on stage. I would have to like move, like I would have to go for walks and stuff. No so way. right before I got brought up, I was doing like uh, squats for some reason. I don't remember why, but I was sort right. of just doing some like squat. And apparently, one of the girls looked over and she whispered to Donovan, who was there. She's like, "Who's the gymnast going up right now?" <laughs> <laughs> the gymnast. Yeah, they thought I was That's like literally awesome, like man. getting loose and like we're, I was just trying to get all the nerves out of my body, <laughs> getting ready for the yeah for the uh, balance beam. Um, okay, well, you know what? Before we jump into uh, the image that you've somehow magically created for okay. yourself, uh, let's let's start back <clears throat> in the beginning. First off, welcome to the show because I it's been it's been a, we've been planning this for a while and it just hasn't ever materialized. Yeah, we since two thousand and eight we've been trying Correct. to do this podcast. Correct. Yeah, before I even started this thing, I had hit you up and said, it's been "Hey, we seven do years that. of trying to get on this, <laughs> we've been trying to fill this calendar date in for seven years." When did you start comedy? Uh, November two thousand nine. You remember the I month? I remember the day. I think November eleventh. It was really? Memorial Day. Yeah, I was going to say that is sounds familiar, like yeah. a holiday or something. Yeah, it was right on Memorial Day, two thousand eleven, two thousand nine, two thousand nine. Yeah. So and right after I graduated, lay out the landscape here. 
Right after I graduated high school, I knew I wanted to do stand-up. So I was just waiting until I turned 18. Right. I didn't know you could. So I waited this whole time until I turned 18. And then when I went and did stand-up, like, no one IDs you or checks or anything. <laughs> right. And right, instead, I was like, I could have been doing this for, like, three years at this point. Because no one... I That's mean, 15 might have looked a little young. But... So as soon as I turned 18, I was like, I'm going to... I know I'm going to go do stand-up. And right. so I didn't have a clue. Like, I think I emailed... Uh, Comedy Cave, and they right. were just like, "No, we don't offer open mics," and they right. they don't really, and they still don't. So I emailed the Yuck Yucks. I, I was like, "Do you guys have an amateur night?" And they're like, "Yep, we have one." And I was like, "How do I get on it?" And they're like, you, "I think there was a draw system at the time, so you had to right. show up." And there was a workshop at six thirty that you would just some headliner comedian would run the workshop, okay. sort of teach you about comedy. I've heard about this, and yeah. then you would put your name in a draw, and they would just draw. For who got to go up that night. No way. And the first few times I went, I was just so nervous that I just sort of hung out in the back of the room. Right. Because I didn't know anyone, right? Like, you're going into this thing. Yeah, it is a pretty it is a pretty odd setup. Nobody is, like, ever there to just welcome you in if no. you're brand new. You just no. sit in the fucking corner until someone's like, hey, dude, are you up next? Or when are you, are you on? <laughs> I had literally... Like no idea, and I remember like I remember going to the box office at Yuck Yucks and being like and buying a ticket actually, right at like six o'clock because I thought the show I didn't know I heard something started at six thirty I didn't know so I go and I buy a ticket and they kind of gave me a weird look right and I was like are there any tickets available <laughs> because I had no idea at like an amateur night it's like three people in the audience right, so I didn't right. know I was like the day of I was like is there any tickets available and they're like oh yeah there's tickets available. <laughs> And so, yeah, I think the first few times I went up, I don't even think I was in. I participated in the workshop. I think I actually went at eight and just watched the and show watched a couple it. times. Wow! Because it was, it's awkward to jump in sure. and like, yeah. and then it's already you know nerve wracking to do stand up. But then right. you also mix with having to meet a whole new group of people. Sure, was a lot. And so yeah. the first few times I just watched the show. Then finally, I went to the workshop and I put my name in the draw right and then I don't think I got up that night and then I called in because you could call in early and get a spot sure and so I showed up one time and uh, the guy that was running it they were like alright we're going to start the show soon and one of the other comedians was like Did you, do you have a spot on the show and I was like I, don't, I was too afraid to ask so right. I was like I don't know maybe we'll see what happens <laughs> she's like no you need to know if you have a spot and I was like okay fine so I went and asked <laughs> right. and he's like yeah you're going up like third or whatever and I was like okay at w- at what like did you have material I mean obviously you had material but I mean what what like prep like trepidated all the, like like what what started all this stuff like how did you get into comedy like how did you I always loved comedy and Where I knew I wanted anyway? to do it Where Calgary you, you're you're from Calgary Yeah Holy So shit. I lived in Cal I've lived in Calgary and then in grade 4 and 5 we moved to the Netherlands and we spent 2 years there mm. then I came back and I knew the whole time that I want to do stand up. You knew and then, from that, from that Yeah, and then like I was always very like performance type. Like right. I remember grade uh five we had a play in our school mm-hmm. and like you could go audition for it. And it was like we called like the, it was for the big kids. Like it was like right. grade seven and eighters. And then when you're grade five, those are like adults to you. Like these yeah, guys yeah. have jobs and probably mortgage. Like they're so much older than you. Right. And there was an audition for the play and a bunch of us went in, like I think, like thirty or forty of us went in from grade five, and they never pick anyone from grade five to be in the play. Right, and so we all kind of just did it as a goof, like we didn't think. And then I remember one girl came up and she's like, "Did you go look at who got picked for the play?" And I was like, "No." She's like, "You're on the list." 
I was no the only grade picked. five or picked for the play. I didn't have any lines in it. Like right, it right. was like, you like played a into the woods, or and I was just like, I was the Mad Hatter somehow, which isn't <laughs> even in that play. They mixed a bunch of things together. They mashed it all up, huh? Yeah, and then in grade um, seven, I hosted like the. I think I hosted the talent show in grade seven. And then grade nine, I hosted our grad ceremony. So I already knew. So and then in, in grade 12, bit. I hosted um, a benefit concert for high school. So I already knew I kind of wanted to do performance, Something but not drama, which was right. funny because I was in drama class. And I was like, this is like, I didn't want to do that. So you never had any aspirations for acting or nothing like that? No, which is the weird part of it because it's like I did drama. And I right. was just like, eh, it's not, you know, right. I didn't really like it that much. But yeah. I loved the idea of stand-up comedy. And then I like my first unofficial performance. I would say was in grade twelve when I hosted um, the benefit concert, and I tried to do some jokes, and they were terrible. Like my joke was <laughs> like, I want to hear first of all, it was a benefit concert for a kid whose family got run over by a car oh, and got killed. So tough, now, tough, tough, tough as crowd. a C, like as a more you know experienced comedian, I would know that climate is not conducive to. Like sperm <laughs> jokes, but that was my joke. My joke. I remember, like the this would be like the first joke I ever told. I was like, hey, "It's great to see everyone here supporting this family," and everyone's like very grim and like you know, there's almost crying and stuff. And I'm like, you know, it's great to see people donating. And then somehow my joke was just like, "Yeah, I donated last week at the sperm clinic," <laughs> and it was just like, and even up. my buddy, my best friend, stood up and he's like. Boo! Tell a joke. Like my best friend heckled me. <laughs> Just fucking my best friend you, heckled me. So, <laughs> yeah. What do your parents do? Uh, my mom is a nurse, and my dad is in oil and gas. No way. Yeah. And you work in oil and gas. True. Yep. Yeah. During the day. Yeah. Wow. So Somehow, kind of still with guy. all the uh, layoffs and, did, and everything. Did you? Uh, and you went to university, right? Mm-hmm. What did you take in school? Business. Business guy. Yeah. Haskane. Correct. Wow. Yep. No shit. Did you graduate? Oh, I graduated. That's right. <laughs> Your parents were like that. Hell, I told my not. parents I graduated. So, and yeah. my work thinks I did. No one ever checks. Hey, here's That's, a tip I just of had advice a for kids applying for jobs. They don't check. I put on my resume that I have a business degree. Right. No one has ever checked for that. That's so funny. I was just having a Roll conversation about this the other day. Yeah. And uh, down in the states, they do. They do check. Oh, is that right? Yeah. And so when I came to Canada, I was like. Do you need a copy of my transcripts? Do you need like like when I worked in Texas, I, mind you, it was in law enforcement. But either way, I mean, who the hell? What does law enforcement yeah. have to do with having a university degree or whatever? But yeah, they requested transcripts, and then they had you fill out a form saying that uh, it's okay for them to contact your school, right? Yeah. and to verify and all this type of shit. Uh, I don't know if they ever did, right? But they did ask for my grades. <laughs> yeah, stuff as like they that. Should. But I was just like, that's crazy. That's good. in Canada. Like it, I worked with a guy in Canada one time. And this was at a uh, at like a youth group group home or whatever, and uh, this guy they they were doing a uh, accreditation okay. for for the uh, for the for the company or whatever. So for those of you who don't know, what accreditation is basically when uh, if you want to be if your agency or your business wants to be accredited by a national company or international right. company, they want to have oversight <clears throat> over your company to say the standards of this company is at a certain level, right? And we sign off on it, them being quality of care or whatever it is uh and we've done the due diligence of going through and making sure everybody's got the credentials right. that they say they do yeah. right so uh this guy was like a therapist 
for kids or whatever. And they kept asking for his degree. And he was like, oh, yeah, no, I'm just in the process of moving. And this drawn out, you know, six months. You know, yeah. They forget about it. And they come <clears> ask <throat> again. And, oh, did you bring it in? Today? And so it finally got down to D-Day. And they're like, listen, man. We need your goddamn degree. Yeah, no like, kidding. And he was like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to grab it right after lunch. And he left, <laughs> and he never came back. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, and it turned out he had never graduated uh, university, never even attended university. Yeah. And here he was like getting a big salary as wow. a therapist, counseling kids for problems and stuff like that. And uh, I, I heard they sued him for, for pay or whatever. You know, oh, is that right? Who the hell ever knows with that type of stuff. But uh, yeah, that's funny, though, because I remember that happening. I'm yeah. thinking, like, why was this never done at the time of hire? Like, why was that? Dude, same thing happened, like, at UFC. One of the, I don't know who it was, someone high up in UFC. It might have mm-hmm. even been a dean or something. Right. Was Dude. there for a number of years. And then they finally checked into it. And they're like, oh, no, this person doesn't have any education. <laughs> they were running a university. <laughs> Because it's I love like that shit, man. I love it. Just people assume, and this is why we have to have weird rules. But it's like people just assume, as they should be able to. Right. If you put like, oh, I have a bachelor of commerce and I have a master's on a resume, they're like, no, surely no one right would be comfortable lie about bullshitting that. that. Right. Right. But some people are. They do. They have no. They, they don't no care. They'll live a lie for the whole time. <laughs> no They'll pretend they were in the Olympics. It, Isn't that crazy? But I think it's because people. Of the older generation, you could get away with that in like 1970. 19, right. You could get away with that shit because there was For no sure. internet. How would people check? Right? Exactly. But now, it's just, it's the same thing with like you know what's her face's Melanie? Is it Trump? What Trump's wife? What's her name? Melania. Is it Melania. Melania. Yeah. Her speech. It's like I don't blame her because she's a speechwriter. But exactly. the speechwriter, you know, there's the internet. So Absolutely. why would you think for a second that that would not get picked up? on? Yeah, and there is software out there for speechwriters yes. to make sure that it's not plagiarized or to make sure that sentences are not taken. Exactly. It autom- automatically finds matches throughout the internet. Yep. You know what I mean? So I don't know if that was a sabotage thing, if it was laziness, if it was ignorance or what it was, but at that level, you would think that with the people that they hire, that they would do that, their... That level is below like a great when a grade six kid hands in a paper, right? The teachers run it through a program on the computer. Yeah. So a grade six kid couldn't plagiarize <laughs> a paper about like the life cycle of a mole, and but you think you're going to go on TV lady. with a plagiarized speech? <laughs> and you like, know that they've got the opposition just waiting to tear you apart. This is what it's like. You know, it's going to be scrutinized. It's just like I don't even comprehend it. Yeah. Like it's such a level of. If it's sabotage, that actually makes more sense sure. to me. That's what that's than, like the only conclusion that I came came up yeah. with. At, and at most the time. things can be explained by incompetence, but it's right. like that level is un- it doesn't even make sense. No, no, it's it's it, the it blatant. Yeah, <laughs> it's the Illuminati. So okay, so you go to school, you're in university. Do you have? I mean, you knew that you wanted to get into comedy at this yeah. time. Uh, certainly, that wasn't the career path. I'm sure your parents had chosen for you. They've always been very supportive. They've never. But is you know, it supportive in a way that's like, oh, that's cute. You got your little hobby over there. Or no. is it like I'm going to make this a career? Or did the, was it like uh, we want you to have something to fall back on to make sure fall that back. you're taken care of? One hundred percent. That's what it is. I always think they've always been super supportive with. They never treated it like, oh, Todd's just doing his hobby. They mm-hmm. knew it's like I take comedy super serious. Mm-hmm. But it's like a realist thing where it's like, you know what? It's tough to make a living, especially in Canada, doing that. Right. So you should have a plan B. That's really what it was. Right. But I'm super thankful for that because I know other comics where their parents are like, that's the stupidest thing yeah. ever. Why would you even waste? And it's like that's such a rude thing yeah. to do. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it's tough. Yeah. It's tough because I think it gets to a point of where some people think that they don't have the option to go and do a backup plan. I've always preached if you're going to like be in a in a business like this, uh, like even getting involved in trades or something like that is even not a bad idea. Yeah. Because you can do a 9-month program at SATE, like a fast track program and go get a trade under your belt. Even even if it's like drafting for oil and gas or AutoCAD right. or like what I mean, you can do supply chain. Man. I mean, there's a million courses you could take that could fast track you that could put you in the workforce for the rest of your life. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of people don't do that. They kind of get this impression that it's like it's one or the other. I've either got to starve as an artist and go into this business and just you know, eke it out, check to check, yep. working at, you know, wherever. Uh, or do you have the other people, the other side of it, a lot of people who are like, you know what, I'm going to have a career and wait for this other aspect of my life to blossom yeah, and be able to do it in a financially secure way. Yeah, and they're they're kind of both right in a way because if you have one thing that you can focus on, mm-hmm. you got a lot more. And if there's more riding on it, then you have just that much more drive. Right. Um, but at the same time, it's like, at some point, if you just if if it doesn't happen for you and you're like 35 living in a van, it's like you're fucked. What are you gonna do, right? Exactly. And it's yeah. like, so, you know, there's that practical. It's just a mix, and I think that if you work hard enough, you can um, make anything happen. And you can do because anyone, you know, and the more podcasts I listen to, the more you know. You have to understand, almost every comedian, even the biggest ones who've made it now, were working day jobs at oh, some absolutely. point and the, yeah. and there was someone i can't remember who it was now but he was working like three jobs mm-hmm. and it was like the guys that make it are the ones that can work that job but then right. still hustle and do spots absolutely and still make it happen and then eventually if you work hard enough you can turn it into your sole income sure if you want if you sure. really um it's kind of like acting right like you know you there's an old saying in los angeles i remember being down there and it was like uh uh i'll I'll quit acting when I'm tired of waiting tables. Like right. there's yep. always a segue into it. Like there's always, you know, I'm going to wait tables until I get discovered or I'm going to do this until I get my break or whatever. And I yep. think it just, you'll know when it's time to make that move. Exactly. When you start making the same, you know, or more uh, doing stand up. But they always say in stand up, it takes 10 years to become an overnight success. You know what I mean? It, and, takes, and a it takes a long time, man. Did, yep. did you know that coming into it? Did you look at the art itself and say there are people in this business that I that I idolize or that I kind of want to emulate right. and know that it takes a long time to actually make it in comedy? Uh, I didn't know that coming in, but I wouldn't have cared either way. Because I love it so much. It's like you could have told me coming in, it's like it's going to take you 15 years to get really good. I'll go, okay. I don't I'll, care. I'll put it's in like the time. someone that's – it's like if someone golfs you mm-hmm. know, and they love golfing and it's like, hey, it's going to take you – 10 years until you're the best that you're going to be at this. Right. But you enjoy going out there every single day. You're like, okay, same with working out. It's like, yeah. it's going to take you a long time, but you have fun while you're doing it. Okay. Yeah. See, I don't have fun doing that. I don't. No. <laughs> and most people don't. And some of the time, you're, I don't you're, either. You're, you're, a, you're an avid uh, uh, athlete, right? You play I you would play not some say hockey? I've, well, I, get, I play men's league hockey. Do you still play? Oh, yeah. Do you? Yeah. See, there's something competitive about people. Like, like uh, I, I used to do jiu-jitsu. You know Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and it just oh, wow. gets to a point where you're just like, eh, fuck. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know. But there's something about that competitive spirit that some people have that it's like, I know guys who go out every Sunday and they go play rec hockey. Yeah. They just go out and have fun and they compete and they just, you know, it's just something that's kind of bred into you, I think. It's yeah, something. and it's also sad at a certain point because some people take men's league hockey so seriously <laughs> that I cry for them secretly. There's dudes like... 
yelling at the ref like, to add two seconds back on the clock. No and I'm way. like, are you serious? It's Wednesday. <laughs> it's 11.45 at night. There's no one watching our game. The score is 8-1. to one. These boards are made of wood because this is the oldest arena in the whole city. And you want two seconds back on the clock. And you're 48. It's the oh, saddest man. thing I've ever seen in my life. There are some people out there that are pretty uh, pretty mental when it comes to that stuff. It's weird. It, it, is, it is a weird thing. Um, all right. So you started taking some of these, like open mics or whatever yeah. early on you, you went and did a workshop you you know kind of sat in on some couple of these workshops uh who was on the scene back then with you um when i first started it was like me um because i'm trying to like place Neil it melrose if you ever met him I don't think um so. mario lopez was here jesse owens was running a room wait a second mario uh, mario marito Oh, okay, no. I Mario? was thinking Dancing with the Stars, Mario. Not uh, Mario Lopez from Jesse AT Owens tonight. from yeah. the Olympics. Um, no. Okay, so these are people I've never heard of before. But they, you are right. They certainly have celebrity names for some reason. <laughs> they do. <laughs> uh, who else was here? Um, Lori Gibbs was one of the first people I saw. Trent McClellan was the first guy I saw He's at Broken City, and he destroyed it. He That's was actually great. there. He headlined the first time I ever performed there, and he destroyed it. Really? I just remember thinking, like, how funny this guy is. Yeah. And there was um, – who else was around back then? There was quite a few. Jeff Toth was there. Mm-hmm. Um there was quite a few guys that have – most people have either moved away or they stopped doing stand-up at this point. Interesting. When, when did like the Ben Cannons and the Alan Chos and the – because I think that came what? Did that come around the same time or was that a couple mm, years later? Ben Cannon started a couple years after me, I think. Did he? So I think oh. maybe two or three years after. Alan Cho might have been there from the beginning – I kind of, for some reason in my head, always put you in that kind of group around that same time. Yeah, I was, I was guys. a little before them. I was a couple a years before, before them. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Before that crew. That's crazy. Man. So, yeah. I think there's a lot of misconceptions in comedy, too, that people think, oh, you know, you've been doing this for a couple years now. In actuality, 2009. Like, that's a long time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's been like seven years. Seven years. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Are you where you think that you were going to be in seven years, or, or did you think? Um, well, when you first start, there's all the naivety of, like, you don't... I didn't even... I honestly, when I first started comedy, I didn't even know other people in the city would be doing stand-up. Like, I literally... First, I was like, I might be the only person in Calgary who wants to do stand-up comedy. <laughs> I literally didn't know, right? And I went to the open mic, and there was, like, 12 people. I'm like, this is more than I even thought. I didn't right. know other people also wanted to do this. This yeah. is cool. And you always think when, like, I remember when I first started, I wrote down, I was like, okay, well, we'll, we'll be a headliner in a year and a half. Because you have no idea what the timeline is. Right? So I was like, I'll be a headliner by 2011. And then, you know, maybe I'll start opening for, you know, some big names in, like, 2013. So my naivety when I started was you don't realize, you know, how long it actually takes to get good and, like, right. what the actual the route and the path is. But, right. yeah, it's been fun the whole time. Let's go back to your first time on stage, man. Okay. How did it go? Not Walk bad. Walk me through that. Not bad. Like people, I know there's a lot of stories of people bombing their very first set. Yeah. Um, yeah, mine went not bad. I have mean, you always was... had that confidence though? Have you always had that? Because you're a very confident guy on, on the stage and, and I couldn't imagine that that confidence has been there since day one. Is yeah, that and that helped that... me a lot. For whatever reason, I've just always had a lot of comfort speaking in front of groups and right. people. And so that helped, especially in the beginning because you if you have good material... I, part of what a lot of people have to get over is that timidness in the beginning, mm-hmm. which sure. is natural because it's such a unnatural environment at first. But I always sort of had 
confidence, which puts the audience at ease. Right. And so I think even my first time, it might have seemed like I had been up two times. Holy right. crap. So, um, yeah, I just remember it going like, okay. I don't really remember. I remember I had like a joke about like prices right. It was very generic stuff. Right. And I just, I had actually practiced it like in my house. Like no I way. would wait for everyone to leave the house and then I had a half like a hockey stick. Right. Oh, I actually had like a glue stick, I think, that I taped wider so it would be kind of like a microphone. Right. And I would go in the basement, I would like practice my jokes. No way. Literally. Like I would practice it out and just talk them out. <laughs> and then like That's sort of crazy. that was sort of how I would write for a bit. So I'd keep doing the set over and over again. And then like more ideas would come to me. Right. And then yeah, then I went out on my stage for the first time and it was just I just remember it being so like literally in my head when he was about to bring me up, I was like, I can't believe I've waited since like grade three to do this. And I'm finally going to do and it. It was just a surreal wow. moment. How busy was it? Do you remember? Um, I don't remember how many were in the audience, but it was actually not the, when I first started doing the open mics at Yuck Yucks, there was actually quite a few people mm-hmm. at them. Come, so there might've been like 30 people, which right. is not bad for an open mic. And yeah, I just remember like the nerves. Right. And that was the biggest thing because it's just like you're meeting all these new people. You don't, you never done stand up before. You're nervous, and then you get out of your system, and just like that car ride home was the best. And here's the funniest part: so I had been going to all these shows and just watching them, right? Right. And so I was taking my parents' car and doing it, right? And they didn't. I was. I didn't want to tell anyone about stand up for a while because it was so, like my so, thing. So you like you weren't the guy that say I'm bringing twenty bodies no, down with no, me. No, I'm the exact opposite of that, and that's why it blows my mind. Like when people, it's their first time. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this. Yeah, I yeah. think it's great if you have the confidence. When people, it's their first time, and they're like, I've brought all of my friends here to watch me. That's a lot I'm like, of how do you do that? Because yeah. my first time, I was like, I do not want to. I didn't tell anyone. I was like, this is a secret, right. and I still didn't want to bring anyone for the long. Even though I started doing really good, sure. I was like, I just don't want the pressure of people. I know it took right. me a long time to work up the nerve to invite like my friends and my dad to come watch me. Really? Um, yeah. So it's hilarious because I'm the exact opposite right. of a lot of guys where they're like their first time up. They like want to have everyone there. Yeah. I was the opposite. I'm like, I don't want anyone here. I don't want any pressure. Right. And so I had been going and watching these shows a bunch. I probably went to three or four shows um, to watch before I ever even went up. And my parents, so I was just disappearing all of a sudden. Right. Like I was usually home every night. All of a sudden, I just start disappearing at night right. for <laughs> hours, right? And I'm coming home late because the right. shows go late. And my mom thought I was doing drugs. She thought I, was, I had a crack problem, straight up, <laughs> right? And she didn't, and I, didn't, I just didn't want to tell them like it was my thing. Right. And so they'd be like, where, where were you? And right. I had shitty, I was just like, I was at the gym or like, yeah. but they, so my mom literally thought I was just doing crack. <laughs> And like on drugs and shit. Todd is on and something. And then finally, I went out my first time. And I was like, okay, I can go. Like, I was relieved. I was like, I can go tell them what I'm doing. So I got home. And again, they're just like, where the, where the hell were you? And I right. was like, I have to tell you guys something. And they're like, here it comes. It's going to be a bomb dropper. And I was like, I did stand-up comedy tonight. They're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, I loved, I'm interested in stand-up. And I did it Holy for the first shit. time tonight. And they're like, oh, that's really cool. How did it go? I'm like, that was good. So it was like your parents were probably expecting you to come out of the closet in some respects, still expecting be that. Dr- drugs or some type of a double life that, mm-hmm. that you're leading, some type of a seedy underbelly exactly. to, uh, to Calgary that you're out there walking the alleys and, and doing crack and you come home and you, you come out and you say, I've been doing comedy. They were, yeah, they were they must genuinely just, worried about me. They must have been absolutely overwhelmed with joy. That, that well, was the, at least that relieved that it wasn't a drug issue. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, that was one of the weirdest things. That is crazy, man. Yeah. Wow. And so it started from there. It started from you starting out, going out and doing these uh, doing these shows. And then when did you find that uh, you started to make some waves in the industry? Because you've got a good name here in Calgary. You've been right. out a lot of shows. People know who you are. You're, you're looked up to a lot. People... You know, I talk to people all the time, and they're always saying, "Oh man, like Todd Ness is just incredible." Like you've got a lot of accolades out there. That's my mom. She's that, the only one that says that. Yeah, uh, I was talking to her the other day about it. Uh, at some point, though, you said, "Okay, I'm, I, I, this is this is real, and not only is this something I like to do, but this is something I can really make a run at." Because there's some people that get into comedy, and they're like, "I know I want to do this," yeah, but they're just not made to do it, or they haven't found the right the right step or maybe they haven't found the right groove yep. or maybe the right mentor to help them through that. Uh, was there people in the business that, that kind of took you under their, their wing or, or is there people that helped you out at all? Or, or I think that Calgary is, I haven't been to a lot of other cities and seen what their open mic scene is like, right. but from what I've experienced here, it is like one of the most supportive communities for doing stand-up comedy like yeah. ever there is no i've heard of other cities where it's like there's backstabbing and competition and sure. stuff there's no competition here that isn't healthy right you know there might be guys pushing each other to get funnier right. but there was never any like why is that guy on stage i should be on stage mm-hmm. it was all love from the very beginning from the very first time i was on stage right and i came off everyone was like great job yeah and i remember the second time people were like man how many times you've been up like that's great keep going there was so sure. much encouragement right. and it's like any activity you start doing and people are that encouraging to you you get so positively attached yeah, to it even absolutely. though i loved it anyway and then right. people are like you got to keep doing all stuff it's like everyone was supportive i remember Lori gibbs in the beginning being sort of like a mentor like she was super supportive and she was yeah. like just have fun up there yeah and then even people would send like a Facebook message. Right, next, right, next, right, next thing, right. next thing, just be funny. And when you are starting out at something, it's like you live and die by those. Just a little note like that makes a sure. huge difference. Yeah. And if I had a good set back then, it's. I think of stand up as almost. It's kind of like a drug because when you, you know, you build up a tolerance almost. Like back in, when I first started, I could do one show every two weeks and feel. Right. If that show went good, I would be fed for two weeks. I would feel amazing. Really? And then I could do one show a week, and I would feel if that show went good, right. I would feel amazing. Like if I went up on a Monday, I would feel amazing the whole week because of that show. And so now I have like to really do four or like five times a week. Yeah, it's literally like I have to keep getting my hits of stand up four right. times a, a week now to wow. really feel that. Yeah, so it's like heroin, and I also do heroin, so it's great. <laughs> well, heroin is a good drug to do if you are. I've never done. I have no idea what heroin's like, but I would imagine with that type of addiction rate, it's got. There's something got to be good in that. Thing. Yeah, there's yeah. got to be something addictive. It's got to be good. It's got. It's, it's got to be, be great. great. It's got to be good. Wow, man, that's a pretty inspirational thing. I mean, and I get what you're saying as far as I mean. Uh, obviously, I, you know, I never did stand up in that long a period of time, but I think the instant gratification, or that when you get people come up to you after the show and they say, "Oh man, dude, that was great. You know, you killed it last night, or you did this, you did that," I could see where that would be an addictive thing. Oh, it's huge. Yeah. It feels great, right? Because you like, don't get that in oil and gas. No, no one comes over and says, hey, man, that cost analysis you did was just, I mean, you fucking. Well, and even the if park. they do, you're like, okay. It's not the same <laughs> as, like, I don't know. It's like when you do the one thing that you love the most, mm-hmm. and then you get rewarded for it on stage, and then also often people tell you, it's like, there's no better feeling in the whole world. Right. And it's literally, 
an addiction. Right. And that's why I think people can't stop doing it. That's why people just do it yeah. until – like that's why I don't know how people quit because it's like – How you can know, you when you yeah. – There's so many guys you see they will go and do it one or two times yeah. and they're just done. Or people that are like three years in, they're like, you know what? I think I'm going to quit. I'm like, how can you quit? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I only, I think to myself, I mean, at that stage, I mean, you can only get better. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't think you could really get worse unless you actively work towards getting worse. Yeah. Which I plan to do. In You're going to start doing that this yeah. year. I'm going to start tanking on purpose. <laughs> There is a certain humbleness about Todd Ness that it that intrigues me because um, you're a very unassuming guy to talk to. As far as you wouldn't know that you're that you know this is a, a career for you, and you know you come off as just a very nice guy, just you know very approachable and talkative. Um, but there is also a level of of funniness that I think uh, I know that when you and I first hung out, it was almost like. There's this exterior that I can't penetrate because Todd Ness is always funny. He's always on <laughs> oh, no. the, uh, he's always on. Uh, and then I think we went for coffee and we just sat down and bullshit for a bit. And yep. I was just like, I got to get to know you yes. beyond just yep. the performer. There's a human being behind there. Yep. Um, have you noticed that at all? Like, has have people said that? Like, I like there's certain people like uh, yourself, Ben Cannon, and stuff. Like, you got to do a little more scratching of the surface to, to get to know somebody a little bit. It, do you keep yeah. your comedy life very separate from your family and your private life? <laughs> Is that- I have dual personality disorder. You- <laughs> no, I think that. Um, I mean, do people at work know that you moonlight as a comedian? They do, and it's the worst thing of all time. Because here's what I, I and I heard Brian Regan say this too. It's like there's something funny about comedians where we love doing comedy, mm-hmm. but I don't want to tell people. And the right. reason is because it's that exact same thing. It's like I just love doing stand up and being funny like that. But I'm a normal human too. Like I'm right. not a circus clown. Sure. And so as soon as people know that you're doing stand up, now they feel whether conscious or subconsciously like you're and you're like there to entertain them right and it right. also taints any time that you do do a joke with someone as soon as they because they're like oh this guy's just a comedian trying to be funny like right it's like no i'm just being myself and exactly. hanging out yeah and yeah people at work know and it's the, but it's the exact same thing where it's like as soon as they find out they want you to constantly perform and then it's like they don't realize He's just a regular person. Right. And so they asked me, like, we were in a boardroom with, like, executives. And they're like, Todd does stand-up. Would you mind doing some stand-up for all of us right now? And I'm like, are you guys fucking serious? I was like, no. This is a, this is a, a hellish environment. It's not appropriate. And also, it's the only thing where, like, if someone at work was really good at dance right. and they did dance recitals every night, we wouldn't, wouldn't ask them wouldn't. to dance for us in the thing. Exactly. But I always remember, like, my goal, and this was something that Eddie Delisepe said when he came and did the work. One of the first workshops I went to right. was, like, you know that you're, you're funny to go – when you go and do stand-up, you do it because you think you're a funny person. You right. know you're funny. And so the goal really ultimately should be – the hardest part when you start stand-up is, like, you can be really funny with your friends because you're relaxed. Right. And then you try and go on stage and do it, and it doesn't necessarily translate because now you're thinking about it and you're trying to be funny. Sure. So, like, the ultimate goal is, like, to be just as funny on stage as you are off stage. Right. Which is kind of a counterintuitive thing because it's, like, you're, it's almost like you're not 
turning it on. You're just trying to get rid of your inhibitions right. and get as funny as you are when you're telling your friends the stories you are on stage. Right. And then even better, if you can get funnier on stage yeah. than you are in person, then that's the best. Absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, but there's even a different level to that as well. Because, I mean, uh, for those of people that do not know, you were recently signed. Correct. Yeah. 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 I, I never saw any announcement. I never saw any big headline. I never saw anything... Uh, is that just- oh do you mean like from my making a status or yeah. anything yeah I don't know I didn't like yeah Cause I like, don't know because I, I, somebody the other day asked me they're like hey Todd Ness got signed didn't he and I said yeah, yeah. he sure did and they were like we nobody knows that nobody knows about that and i'm like started thinking about it i'm like is that my fault or is that todd's fault i'm you not know, quite sure and 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 if it is uh if if it is because you don't feel it necessary to share that is there a part of you that is not used to having to be selfish about branding yourself and saying listen this is my career and i people do need to know about me yes and but there's you got to almost swallow some of that humbleness and 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 just be like you know what i need to be a, a bit brazen and i need to be a bit you know uh loud and i need to tell people yeah, that type absolutely. Of stuff. Yeah, is that is that a hard transition to me? Yeah, and I think like I think I've told you this too before, where it was like I would always do shows, and then they would go if they went really good. I was like, good, my work here's done. Mm-hmm. I just go kind of hang in the green room. I didn't want to go out almost and hang around because then I felt like it was gloating almost. Like right. I didn't want to do really good and then go hang out at like the door because then it's almost like I'm standing there like, yeah, give me praise on your for, way out. Looking for it, yeah. But now, but you have to sort of flip your mentality where it's like, okay, the show went really good right. and now I go stand at the door because I want to thank every single person for coming to the show. Exactly. It's not about congratulating me. Right. It's about making a personal connection with them. Right. Right. So yeah, the same way, you and know, that has helped quite a bit. I mean, obviously you've got, absolutely uh, you've, you've developed a, a good following now. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes all the difference because people, I mean, how many times do you go see a performance and when you leave the performers there right. waiting for you and like, and it's something I've heard other comedians, they're really successful say on, on podcasts. It's like they right. would go, and wait at the back door and just make a personal connection. It takes two seconds. Like, thanks for coming to the show. You look them in the eye. Right. And they're like, holy shit, this guy is here. And I find that that always turns into something else. People always want to talk. Well, when, when, you know, when are you going up again? Oh, dude, that was great. Can I take a picture with you? Yes. Or, you know, and then uh, the last show I saw you do, you went out there with a the notepad and you were getting people's email addresses and you were right. getting contacts and stuff like that, which is a great marketing thing. I want to get your I want to get some of your viewpoints a bit and I think just with your experience and the success that you've had so far um I really want to start talking a bit more about how people in this position can give good advice to people that are just starting out in this business. Okay. I get a lot of people that email me on the show. I'm actually meeting with somebody next Wednesday who wants to start stand up. They just like right. how do I start writing my first set? How do I start doing this stuff? And I think uh People look at you, like I said, as as it being obviously very successful in the realm of, of local comedy and making a name for yourself here in, here in Calgary. Yeah. Like I said before, a lot of people don't realize that you've been doing this for seven years. Yeah. And there's a lot of time and a lot of effort put into it. It wasn't didn't happen overnight. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the hair has changed a lot too. I saw old pictures of you and. Dear God, I don't know what happened to your hair back then, but uh, oh, that I old could... video on yeah, that's it looks like I poo- it looks like I have a perm in my hair or something. It's like I know. Up. I was like, this cannot be Todd. Ness. Yeah, I need that taken off the internet immediately. Yeah, we need to uh, scrub we that need from to the scrub internet. That from we need to scrub that immediately. <laughs> 
for people starting out, I know you and I have had this conversation. Yeah. There, there. I've interviewed headliners. I just had interviewed one, a couple, two this past weekend that are just monsters. You know, people yeah. like uh, Dom Dom Perret, Lisa Baker, uh, even like people like Sean Lacumber and, yes. and Kathleen McGee. Before you know, I had met right. her. A lot of people. You know, they're active on some social media, and there's some who are zero active on social media. Yeah. There's a lot of people who are afraid to promote. There's a lot of people who don't know how to promote. Yeah. Um, and somebody, uh, I, I think it was Dom actually on the weekend, he said, show me somebody who's really good at marketing and organizing themselves, and I'll show you somebody who's not that great at stand-up. Right. Just like I show you somebody who's amazing at stand-up who can't market themselves or the shit. Or yes, what, you know what I mean? very true, very is there, true. Is there a struggle there? Because I know for myself, uh, it's a fight that I have to have every day. I'm very liberal arts-minded. Yes. So I'm yeah. very much like, you know, everything will work out in the end uh, financially. Uh, and then even like for business things that I have to literally be disciplined to say, I got to do it a certain way or it's not going to be yep. fucking successful. Yep. And I, I have to do it a certain way and I have to be disciplined to do those things on a daily basis, mm-hmm. whether it be promote, whether it be to reach out, find new ways to market, yep. uh, you know, approach venues, uh, create business, all that type of stuff. Being an artist and also being involved in business, yeah, is that a is that a difficult thing for you to to kind of balance out and and how do you do it successfully? That's something that I've just started learning over the last year and a half, two mm-hmm. years, and it's something that I didn't, I thought that you know when you first I sort of looked at stand up as almost like a professional sport when I started. I was like, don't worry about the self promotion and all that stuff. It was right. like just get good as you can right. at stand-up, and then everything will work out. Mm-hmm. And in a way, it does, and that's actually a great mentality in the beginning because sure. then that's the that's the best mentality for like your first three years of stand-up. It's like right. do not worry about self-promoting because some people are like four sets in and they're getting headshots and like they're posting videos, which is a terrible idea because you don't – you might it might seem good at the time, that but that video is on the internet you, now forever right. and you will realize in literally one year how much you've improved. That's a terrible set. So right. if you go too much self-promotion and you don't focus on like the goose that lays the golden egg right. is comedy. So you right. have to focus on that first. But then um, I thought it was like professional sports where it was like you just get good enough. Right. You get to a certain level, and then people will find you, mm-hmm. and they will make it happen for you. Right. And that is not true in Canada for right. the most part. It's really So that's where I've just made the flip. And literally the last year, year mm-hmm. and a half, maybe two years of like, oh, okay. So now I have you know enough confidence doing stand-up, and I have at least – I don't want to call it like a product, but I have my set, and I have what I can deliver. Sure. It's like now I have to promote it. And now right. I have to be proactive is the biggest word. It's like you can't – just sit on your hands after wait the set and wait. You've right. got to take advantage of the people that are there that just saw you. Right. Get their emails right away. Right. Go connect with those people. If you want to sell them stuff, go sell them stuff. Mm-hmm. Especially in Canada, you have to do that. And for a lot of people, that's a difficult hat to put on because some people are uh, they're monsters on stage, but they might be you know, very uh, uh, reclusive in their personal lives mm-hmm. or, or even after a show. I've talked yep. to people and I've gotten the vibe like, ah, this... I don't think this guy likes me very much. But in reality, it's just because he's a shy person. Yes. And on stage, you look at it, you're just like, wow, this guy, you know, or this girl just killed it. And then they come off stage and they're just very 
antisocial or maybe socially inept or whatever the yeah. case is. Um, I find that very fascinating that you've always been able to manage. And I always say always, but since the time that I've I've known you, yeah. uh, you've been very uh, you, you've been very good at that. Of being able to market yourself uh, on a personal level and and also do that on a business level. Uh, that there is you know you are approachable off stage. You're someone that people can go up and talk to. Yeah. You hang out. You, you bullshit with people. Uh, you give good advice. Uh, stuff like that. I think. You know, and I know that you and I recently had this conversation too. But you know, and and what I try to get out to a lot of people as well, and it it it, it might be sophistry. I have no idea. This you know, the advice I give isn't sage. I mean, yep. it's not you know golden or anything. Um, but from a business standpoint, for me, it seems like there's a lot of people on the local scene that you see them on Monday, and they're the same people you see throughout the week, no right. matter what room you go to. You might get one or two new people up there, but it's really the same group of people just kind of going and doing the yes. same thing yeah. day after day, open mic after open mic. At what point is it a good idea for – because, okay, a lot of people, when they first get into comedy, a lot of veteran comedians say, listen, get your five minutes, get your ten a minutes, right. and you work it to death. You, you own that material. Mm-hmm. You make it work for you. You find the jokes at work. You refine it down to a five-minute five set, and yeah. you live and die off that five. There's a lot of people that go out there every night of the week, and they're trying new material. They're try- Is that spreading yourself too thin, or is it saying, like, I just know that the more time I'm out there, the better I get? It's the balance between both. So when you're first starting out, the goal should just be to get on stage because every time you go up, you're going to get more comfortable. And if you have to do the same jokes... Um, you should do that because you're sort of learning how to ride the bike, mm-hmm. right? And it's just more about like being able to figure out how to be on stage, how to communicate. Right. Once you have that down, uh, then it's time to work on material and right. get stuff. And there's there's no right answers with comedy, but there is sort of the two schools of thought that you've alluded to. And I think right. the older school thought is like you sort of build – jokes Mm -hmm. and you go and you tell them a hundred times and you continually refine them refine them refine them add tweak it's sort of like a seinfeld type thing sure um that's one mentality and then the other one is like well no you sort of write as you go and you're always working on new stuff and building it and building and building it and losing old stuff and to me i'm more the second type Mm -hmm. because i get bored of material real quick right it's more fun to come up with stuff Mm -hmm. but it's that balance between if you're just doing like if you're improvising every set you go up and do right then you're at the end of the day you've done five shows in the week now you have no material from the whole week right because you spend all of your time on stage just doing jokes about the room on the fly Mm -hmm. so now you don't get anything right but if you did the exact same set all five of those days in the week you didn't gain anything either because now you're just repeating the same act which is actually going to get stale as you feel less right you know enthusiastic about it so it's a mix of having jokes that you're constantly working on and developing sure and then also having material that you're refining right i think i think it's the healthy medium between both you like to go out quite a bit during the week and do open mics and stuff like that how many nights a week are you out there hitting it on on average I do between four and five. Four and five nights a week. Which I thought was like impossible when I first started. And it was with school, it's tougher because you have assignments tonight and stuff. I don't have anything at night now. And so, yeah. And like I said, it's a drug. So the more you can do it. And but also, that also lends itself to, I mean, that's a difficult lifestyle on a certain level. I mean, you've got a girlfriend, you've yep. got uh, you've got work commitments. I mean, you, you're up early in the morning to go go to work the next day, stuff like that. I mean, does that is that does that tire you out at all? 
No, because I'm used to it. So <laughs> you just you can get used to anything. Like there's people out there who are working 18 hour days and they're just used to doing it. But it's a it's it's a selfish career in a way around other yep. people because they always have to not necessarily come second, but they have to find their place in your life of where they're going to fit. Yep. Yeah. Because in I mean, at the end of the day, you're pursuing a dream. Yes. And not necessarily a dream. I mean, dream, so to speak, uh, lack of a better word. But you are pursuing uh, an entity that you eventually want to get to and exactly. be full, full of time. Yeah. Is that, does that play hard on, on your family and relationship and stuff like that? No. My girlfriend is super supportive of it. I've met her. You know, She's a great girl, yeah, by the way. Awesome. And that's what, shout out on here. And yeah. that was the nice part is like I think a lot of people wouldn't be able to deal with that. Right. I think that you know, luckily she is so supportive and the right personality where it's like she realizes that it's important to me. Right. And therefore... For you know, she's very flexible. It's like if you need, if you want me to come to the show and watch, I'll come. Mm-hmm. And she always knows there's a few nights of the week we can hang out. Right. But I, I think you're right. I mean, if you there's people out there where you know, if I was with them, they wouldn't understand. They might be cool with it in the beginning, sure. And then eventually, you know, it would come out that they're like, "Why are you gone four nights of the week? Why right. are you on the weekend, Saturday? Why are you doing that? Well, I want to hang out." And it'd be right. like, "Well, that's not. Yeah, I can't. That's you have tough. to be a little bit selfish. You right. Know? Right. Yeah." So let's let's veer towards here. Uh, what's up next for you, and uh, and what's on the goal wise? What's on the horizon here for you? Uh, my goal. I've made the transition into doing longer sets, headlining shows within the last year and a half. So right. uh, I think from a creativity standpoint, my goal is to you know build an hour that I really like, Mm -hmm. that I really like. That's, I mean, right now I can do 45 minutes. I can do an hour. Right. Um, but it's not, you know, it's, it's not like pieced together, but it's sort of like different chunks that I've accumulated and now I can stretch them into an hour and it's pretty good. Right. But it's not like, I think the pinnacle is having an hour or 45 minutes set Mm -hmm. that all sort of flows together and it makes sense at the end of it. Like whenever you see a guy put out a special comedy special, the best specials sort of have a tone throughout the whole thing. Sure. Or you could sort of sum it up almost in like a, yeah, thematic. Exactly. Right. And so that's sort of a goal from a creativity standpoint. My ultimate goal from, you know, a business standpoint is to do theater shows. And that's always been, when I look at something like what Trent McClellan is doing, that to me is like the, the dream. Right. You know, I when think I, that when I see a post that has a, a the seating plan of a theater, and see eighty percent of the blue dots Dude. filled up already, oh. and he's saying you better get your tickets now because these babies are selling out like, fast. I mean, that is a great example that, of success to me. That's perfect. Like, right. um, you know, and I did a little theater in Canmore, mm-hmm. and it wasn't. A, it was like maybe a hundred twenty people, but it was right. just even the atmosphere of it was amazing to me. Mm-hmm. And I always think that's sort of the. You know, I think clubs are also great right. for stand-up. But I, there's something about theater where it's like that's sort of the pinnacle of stand-up to me. Right. Just doing these theater shows, having a lot of people come out. And I think that's great. And it's also, you know, from a business standpoint, that's when you can have – start making enough money where it's like this is a business right. and I can just do this. Sure. Right? Like Trent yeah. can just do that. Right. Right. Because he's so successful with it. Yeah. And that's the ultimate goal. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent, man. Well, uh, we're in the process of working on ways to find you right now. Yes. Because we're going to be planning out some uh, some stuff for you uh, as far as uh, websites. You got one right now that yeah. we're going to be refreshing. Uh, where can people find you, Todd? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. It's at Todd M. As in Michael Ness. Because I don't know who the douche Todd Ness is, but he got to social media... 
Two years before me. I just talked about took this. everything. With Chris Kattan. He was like, somebody took Chris Kattan on Instagram and they won't give it to me. It's like, and yeah. someone took a Jake Hirsch on Twitter. And the uh, here's the kick in the balls is that he follows me. Oh, and, God. and he constantly tweets me and is like, hey, man, how's it going? Dude, I'm like, dude, oh, don't. man, this guy's a master <laughs> troll. Oh, yeah. I kind of like troll. the game. I like that yeah. guy. And he's like, he like, you know, lives in Chicago, just kind of has his average, you know, cubby fan life and just, you know, hangs out with his buddies at the bar. And he's just like, fuck this guy, man. You know what I mean? I'm like, you son of a bitch. Son of a bitch. So Todd M. Ness on Twitter. Yep. Uh, you've got a Facebook. Instagram is the same thing. Todd M. Ness. Facebook uh, is just Todd Ness. You'd find me. Perfect. And uh, let's plug some shows, man. Let's plug some shows. This will probably air a week after okay. next Wednesday. So uh, we are looking at, uh, let's go with the end of the month here, I guess, from, from there on out. Do you have anything on the books right now that you want to plug? I'm doing, I'll be hosting at Yuck Yucks Calgary September 8th to 10th. Perfect. Then I'm doing a show at a coffee shop called Phil and Sebastian. Oh, I love Phil and Sebastian, man. <laughs> They're apparently starting a comedy series. You're kidding. Yeah. The great coffee chain, Phil and Sebastian. Isn't it crazy? That's nuts. They're like, you know what? Where do we go from here? Comedy. That's what we branch into. <laughs> Where, what's our next product line? What's the next logical business step no. for us to make is comedy. comedy. They wow. go, who is the highest paid people? Comedian. Let's get them in Let's here. Let's get them in here. So do that. I'm doing um, Yuck Yucks Edmonton at the end of October, like October 28th and 29th, I think. And then we got the Pender Harbor show. September 29th. That's going to be a monster show. Duh. I'm That's excited for all of monster this. show. Yeah. Yes. All of these are going to be dynamite shows. Any show that Todd Ness is on is going to be a dynamite show. And I will show. be working out at the Good Life on yeah, Stephen Avenue uh, every morning. <laughs> I'm there at about 6 a.m. What's your routine? You do a 6 a.m. workout? Yeah, I work out before work. I'm a what morning workout. There's two are types you? of people to me. There's people who work out in the morning uh, on an empty stomach, and then there's people who work out at night. And like to eat before. I'm a morning workout guy. I like to get up, do it, and get stop. it over with. That's my favorite. So yeah, I go there super early. Pff, routine is like regular stuff. Um, I do, you know, chest one day back, shoulders, whatever. How long do these workouts last? Forty five. Forty five minutes. Forty five. I used to do like two hour workouts back in the day, but it's just too much. It's way. It's too, too much. much. Man. Yeah. I mean, guys like you and me. I mean, with the chiseled physiques and the you when know, we're granite in peak chin. physical condition, we don't. Need, it takes a very little to maintain. I got great muscle memory. Yeah, I ate, I ate a burger from a food truck today, so I'm just doing great. <laughs> You're living life. Yeah. You're successful. Todd, thanks for doing the show, man. I'm this looking was a forward lot of fun. to. Uh, I, I, I thank you for coming out. It was a long time in the making. I would have come to you, but the Zoom was in the shop because I think I burnt it. And, uh, yes. No, I'm uh, glad to come in. This is a cool studio. Thank um, you. Cochrane is four hours away from <laughs> southwest Calgary because there's this, um, construction. They only let one car through every hour. <laughs> He's here all week, folks. Todd Ness, everybody. Yay, so Ness. much applause. The audience. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Thank you. Alright folks, and there you have it, the Todd Ness interview as promised and signed, sealed, and delivered. So I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. What a funny guy. What did I tell you? Absolute uh, pleasure having Todd in studio. 
I'm glad we were able to get this done. Uh, it's been a long time in the making, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad Todd was on board with it. Hey, keep uh, tuned for some great episodes coming up. I promise you we have them. It's going to be amazing. Uh, more great interviews, yeah, even like the Todd Ness one. On behalf of myself, your host, Jake Hirsch, and the entire crew at Yuck Yucks, Mr. Mark Breslin, our executive producer, Kira Williams, of course, our webmaster, Camille Sarovi. Uh, sorry, Camille Argue. I got to get used to saying that, Camille. I promise I will get used to saying it. And, of course, her beautiful husband, Mr. Lane Argue, who breaks out all the beautiful acoustic jams for this podcast. Check him out, Lane Argue, uh, on the description on the iTunes summary. Check it out. His link is there. And until then, we will see you next week.